0: Welcome back to the Campaign Builder. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And we're showing you how we build a campaign to get characters from level 1 to level 20. We know that your table is different than
1: ours, so feel free to use, adapt, and throw away whatever you need to in order to make things work for your campaign.
0: We're expecting a well-rounded party, so we're designing encounters for the following five general archetypes. Warrior, Priest, Mage, Criminal, and Outdoorsman. We now have
1: a level 3 party, and they're in the midst of hunting down members of an opposing guild who have been harassing and assaulting the party since the very beginning of the campaign. Let's get to building.
0: Okay Dan, we're talking about unreliable NPCs. And just to be clear, unreliable NPCs are not just antagonistic. NPCs. These are not just the hostages that refuse to cooperate. These are people that, for all intents and purposes, are there to try to help or to provide information or services or something, but it doesn't go the way that the party expects. Why is using an unreliable NPC so important in D&D?
1: Yeah, I mean, it. we have been, from the very beginning of this, uh, this series, been pushing on the idea of a living breathing real world and um if anything the recent real world events of our world have shown us misinformation is far more prevalent than even real information and sometimes it's by willful ignorance other times it's by you know the best intentions, but unfortunately, they were just wrong. And um, having NPCs that are either wrong or having NPCs that are, hell, even willfully ignorant, be they, uh, you know, good or bad, have uh, – it really breathes a sense of life. It really breathes a sense of reality into our world.
0: Yeah, for me, it's all about adding that extra level of depth and dimension. It makes characters breathe. Mm-hmm. And it takes away the the standard, typical fantasy NPC character who sits there in in your old-school video games that can just say the one phrase over and over again, right? Um, and we we honestly see that in a lot of D&D campaigns where there's a shopkeeper that just has a wacky voice and wants to sell you all the crazy stuff over here, but he really only has ropes to sell. This guy sells ropes. <laughs> yeah. Right. So why, why do we care about this guy? And because we want to establish a Merchants Guild specifically, we're we're NPC heavy, right? We're doing a lot of stuff, especially in tier one, um, in urban settings. And while we are going to head to more uh, wilderness and exploration as we hit the other tiers, especially tier four is going to be really uh, exploration heavy. We know that we have the opportunity now to build a sense of weight and importance and NPCs that the party likes are, uh, are going to be more Important when it comes to low levels because you can threaten other things besides these these player characters that have almost no hit points. Yeah, right. And, and have very few um, stats that you can attack at this point, right? We haven't even seen an ability score increase yet in 5th edition rules because we're still sitting in level 3. Everything is very low. Everything is very um, cheap and easy. So our world yep. should be expensive and difficult, right? There should be a, <laughs> there should be a depth to it. Um, and I like I like, uh, I like what you said about it having a sense of realism. And I guess I kind of take that for granted. I know a lot of tables like to just have um, you know the the wacky characters to blow off steam on a Friday night.
1: And I mean, I got I gotta say the wacky characters to blow off stream, steam on a Friday night have a indelible place in my campaigns i i i love i love the the one-dimensional npcs that serve their purpose and are never seen again right like i'm okay with those guys being one-dimensional when it comes to really have trying to have the party grow with an npc or or have a real sense of the world if they're going to be interacting with a part uh, an npc for longer than a sentence you got to have some sort of life to them. And and as much as we like to say, you know, that all of the information they'll get is always accurate 100% of the time, the, the, the unreliable nature, the part of uh, the, the fallible side of humanity is what makes humanity humanity. So it's what makes people people.
0: Yeah, the other thing, too, about it is that it's going to have the players themselves start to become invested in in smaller, more subtle details. When you have someone subtly raise an eyebrow and stop and think for a moment and then answer, if this is a previously established, unreliable NPC, they're going to sit there and go, what the hell does that mean? Instead of just saying, oh, this guy can raise an eyebrow. He looks like like a Vulcan. <laughs> right, like th- there's gonna there's gonna be more to it than than just the surface level. The more that you that you introduce it, the more that they're going to be uh they're gonna be invested in it. But it's also gonna make them wary and suspicious, and it's going to blur the lines a little bit between good guy and bad guy, ally and enemy. Well, it's it's also going to really reinforce your party to actually start thinking critically about
1: the information they had. Um, if you want to have a party, start taking notes have a couple pieces of information go wrong on them. And then when the party undoubtedly has uh, issues with it and calls it and is like, well, you told us or this NPC told us, well, let's be completely honest. The party is going to be like, you, the DM, told us this information and be like, no, that NPC told you that information and here was their perspective. And then they suddenly realize, wait, you're putting way more thought into this. They're going to respect the game a lot more, and they will start to critically think about what the information they're getting, which means, like you said, they're getting more invested, they're getting more involved. It it It's a win-win for everybody if you have unreliable NPCs. I think that's what we're trying to say. <laughs>
0: So, a lot of NPCs, they have their own motivations, they have their own wants and needs, and the classic unreliable NPC is the hostage that feeds you the wrong information. And for a lot of, especially low-level parties, there's a certain amount of murder-hoboism that is going on here. Uh, No. Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm sure that no one is shocked by that. So there's the idea that um, even if your NPC has the best of intentions, they're going to be on the wrong end of a blade nine times out of ten, especially at low level, when it's easy to just dump a body in the woods. So how can you keep your unreliable NPCs alive? Do you have any ideas on this, Dan? Uh, I do. Should we roll an initiative on it? Yeah, let's. Okay. I got a fitting. I got a seven. So go with your fitting.
1: This comes with me trying to be as transparent as a DM as possible.
0: Uh, I will straight up,
1: and and this is kind of the Hail Mary. I probably should have saved this one for last, but I'm, I'm, I'm starting strong. I will straight up tell the party that this guy's trustworthy. Like, tell the players, no, this guy's, you're getting trustworthy vibes from him.
0: Do you wait for an insight check for that?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah. That's probably when I'd say it. But if, if let's be completely honest, uh, if we quote Men in Black, a person is smart, but people are stupid um i i know for a fact there will be point in every dm's life where their party just is not saying the thing that you're expecting them to say to give them this piece of information so if if it really comes down to it i will say here's this piece of information that i know you guys need and you're getting trustworthy vibes like if if they just suddenly forget that insight is a skill right right then then I, I don't mind giving them that information or at least prodding them to roll that insight check, right? Like, hey, you outdoorsmen, roll the insight. Hey, you, Mage, roll the insight. Because you're he's starting to say things that you would be familiar about, right? Like you would understand whether or not he's telling the truth about this piece of lore or something. And and you start building it into it that way.
0: Yeah, I look, I agree with all of that. Um how many how many of these do you have, Dan? Because I've got a number. I I got three. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah, there we go. I've I I could talk for, for three. All right. So my first one is um honestly, with an unreliable NPC, the best way to keep them alive in my opinion is to grovel especially at low level where you're not really dealing with a whole lot of uh, audiences with with royalty at this point you're not dealing with the people that are the movers and the shakers of the world yet at at this low level you're dealing with street level people you're shaking down thugs you're kidnapping a kobold you are uh arguing with a shopkeeper sympathy is a great way to do this the groveling is is the obvious route to go on this but you can just do it simply by having them have a couple of kids right and so while while they're in there arguing with the shopkeeper about hey you sold me this thing and it broke he goes man that's not my fault you bought it you have it It, it, it's how you use it it's up to you right and then their like eight-year-old boy who is helping stocking shells wanders over and goes papa what's going on no, no, it's okay. Go 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 into the back. It's all right. I'll, I'll deal with this. Suddenly, there's a relationship here. There's It's more complex, and there will be probably one person around the table uh, that is going to give a damn, right? Everybody else is going to say, you know, whatever, let's kill him, but you'll have the one lawful good or, or even lawful neutral character say... You know, we, we we can't go down this road. Yeah
1: let, let let's let's not orphan a child today, guys. That's a Thursday task, and it's Wednesday. Yeah.
0: <laughs> said no D and D group ever.
1: Yeah, right. Um, so for for my next one, we what I would like to have is a have a trusted NPC vouch for this new untrusted NPC in some way, shape, or form. Um, this could come in our campaign as a card-carrying, high-ranked member of the Black Ink Union, telling the party, no, you guys, you should trust this guy. The biggest way to shoot yourself in a foot as a DM on this one is by forcing your party to believe a thing. So if you sit there and you go, no, you guys have to do this, congratulations, you've lost the table. If you guys go, this NPC that you know and that you trust is um, really laying it on thick that you guys should take this new guy with some credence, you should trust. You should definitely not shank in a back alley somewhere. That's going to add a lot of weight. Um, this is even heavier, even has even more weight when you make the trusted NPC a wife or child or family member, someone, someone that has like some emotional trust to them as well. Um, or if you like in our campaigns, we kind of build our characters, but we also, Know that there's going to be some allies we have, and we have this predetermined uh, supposition that the allies that we have will never bat- stab us in the back. They are our allies, they are our closest friends. That our NPCs have these characters bring it in. Someone that we've really built a relationship with, um, and having them vouch for this new NPC should at least keep the blades out of that new NPC's back.
0: My second one is, uh, it's kind of a a two-parter. The first one is, uh, the first part of this is that having your NPC be as surprised and injured and have the negative effect that affects the party also affect the NPC. So it is not just having the one one person who decides that, oh, you know what, you want to go left, left, right, right, and left when you go through the dungeon. You send them as a guide. And when he says, yes, I know that we have to turn the corner here and he stops and it's a dead end now and he goes, wait a minute, Uh, I don't know what's happening here. And as they sit there and they start going, well, you're freaking useless, aren't you? And He's going to take a step and trigger a trap and and get injured. And now this guy is on the same page as the party. They're not going to be mad at him because he didn't set them up. He is in the same boat as them and he's got to deal with all of the same crazy crap that they're going to have to deal with. And so... That makes him someone who is still an ally moving forward that they're still going to want to keep around.
1: I would only caution you to not undermine yourself on this one if this NPC is someone you want to use as a very trustworthy ally in the future. I know I've been party to groups that um, if the NPC did exactly what you said and like led them in the wrong direction and then got himself hurt... That NPC would, is as good as dead. Because <laughs> it's just like, you let us in the wrong direction and you've paid your price. You get to sit here and think about what you've done. And then the party's going to go, we'll come back for you. Don't worry. Except they don't. They forget. And that guy's dead in a, in a maze somewhere.
0: Which is why I say that this comes with the second part to it. Um, have them also be funny. No party wants to give up someone funny. And it, I'm not going to sit here and talk about the best, you know, top ten ways to be comedic in a DD and d campaign. That's not this episode. But, um, uh, and every table is different. So know your audience, read your audience, and be able to make them laugh because that will immediately endear the NPC to them so that when it is the comedic hilarious guy that comes over here, it's a little sarcastic and is always... Given the warrior a little bit of shit but the warrior is laughing and everyone else is enjoying this know who you can pick on in the party just a little bit just needle them a little yeah. bit and everyone's having a good time and then all of a sudden he turns the corner and goes wait a minute this is the wrong way and all of a sudden he becomes serious this is someone they're going to want to keep around this is someone that they are going to say you know what this is not their fault and there's going to be at least a couple of people around the table that go Oh, the DM set us up, not the character. We don't need to, to murder the character. A lot of the times we're, we're very concerned about whether or not the players are mad at the dungeon master when it's, you know, you, you've built villains that need to be evil that are going to kill your backstory characters or, yeah, or the the dice have betrayed you, right? And and now your sword is broken, right? And we don't want people to get mad at the DM, but there's also another side to that. The flip side which is we don't need every non-player character to get absolutely slaughtered because the DM threw a plot point down. Sometimes there is a little bit of meta-knowledge in the way that we, we think about this that we hope that the, the players are using some common sense and they say, oh, you know what? That's it. I'm never using swords again. Like, no, that's that's not that's not the point of this, guys. <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> the point is that you're fighting some sort of acidic ooze, right? And so that your swords yeah. aren't aren't gonna be helpful this time. Your NPC is not helpful this time like if you're very clear about the fact that this guide here is not a guide it is some sort of scholar and it's their first time into a dungeon but they they read a lot about this and maybe they just mistranslated give me a second let me look at the scrolls oh we were supposed to go right back there well what does this mean then right and so now <laughs> and, and so you've got a little bit more um more depth to the character just by having them make mistakes and also still getting the the negative outcome of the mistakes uh, affect them my my final
1: one here is uh, kind of in the same vein as what you said, Adam. Um, in in terms of uh, having the NPC kind of play to the party, uh, to the party's ego. Um, but the way I would I would put it is have the part have the NPC back the party up in a very real way. Like have them have a use. If they have a very practical use, your party will be more inclined to keep them around. Uh, say you're running a party full of clerics and paladins, and you really need someone to pick that lock. Well, if you have this NPC who can pick a lock, but may give some misinformation, sometime they've got a use. Keep them around, maybe not listen to them all the time, right? Um, you could also have it this guy actually not play to their egos, but actually have just a use, not building up the characters as as these massive heroes, but seeing them as real people and. Having a use that ha- having a service that they can provide to these characters, right? This is this is your rogue that's like, yeah, I I get it. You guys are a big deal over in Sandspit, but here you don't quite have the same clout. But no, no, I like you, but you know, I'll go along with you to pick the locks. But I don't have hero worship here. You guys are people. You're good people, but you—I mean, you're people. <laughs> so. This is a really good way to build your uh, player's trust in a character because they have a practical use. Uh, they they have uh, a constant practical use, something that will come up again and again, a recurring, that's the word I was looking for, recurring practical use.
0: Yeah, no No matter how many times your uh, healer screws up and, and cannot tie the knots when whenever you guys capture a goblin and the goblins keep escaping, you're not going to murder the healer in the party. No. So, um,
1: that for, for an NPC and keeping them alive, having them have a practical reason to be around other than, um, you definitely don't want your NPC to become the face of the party. So be careful with that kind of practical use. If, if it, their, their practical use is, you know, social standing, which it very well could be, be cautious with that. But, um, if it's something like, oh, these people are really good at archery and we don't have an archer. Cool. Keep them around.
0: Yeah, I, like I, I think that as a generally speaking, you're right. Um, I, I think that they could be the face of the party if they are introducing them for this encounter. Uh, I, I will get you guys backstage, right? Um, I, I can get you access to an audience with with the prince, and then they get you the audience to the prince, and the prince turns out to be a real dick and doesn't act the way that everyone wanted them to act, you can't blame the NPC that was the face of the party at that point, that, that got them in. But I think you're right. You, you can't have them be the constant replacement for, um, for the party leader, because if that's the case, then you're just going to end up role-playing with yourself while everyone around the table watches you. And that's not fun for anybody. It's fun for me. Except you. I guess my last one here is, honestly, it, it comes down to... Talking about the hypocrisy with the players before they come in for the kill. So this is a guy that has been either a a fence for the criminal character who is consistently double crossing or raising the price or no i don't have that i said i would but i don't and there's just a lot of things there's a, been a lot of excuses and this is an unreliable character that you want them to really dislike now i did this with a gnome character one time um a couple of campaigns ago where he was consistently stealing from the party always stealing from the party every time they turn their backs they they realized that important magic items are going missing and there were um their armor for example would go missing overnight when they took it off and they kept finding it on this gnome and he kept making bargains with them and making deals and i just happened to hit a streak one time a very lucky streak where his insight was or or his uh, deception just beat all of their insight checks and so the players knew but the characters could do nothing about it because they weren't aware and so and this guy stole thousands of gold from the party. They just struck it big. And he's like, oh, why, don't you, uh, why don't you guys invest it with me? Like, invest in what? And he goes, uh, you you, you, don't want to know the the ins and outs. And like, we're also, we're in the middle of the wilderness. What investments are you going to make? And he just goes, yeah, I know, right? Gnome stuff. Don't worry about it. And they failed their insight checks. So <laughs> so when they came back at him and, and every time they caught him, he said, oh, sorry, here you go. And he would give them not only their stuff back, But he would add a little bit more. Sorry for your trouble. And so it became kind of this little bit of a contest. But there was also the idea that in time, whatever he stole would get returned to them better than than they got it. Suddenly their armor would be gone. They would know he did it. They'd have to do a couple of encounters without armor. And of course, players are pissed about that. But then at the end, the armor comes back and it's shinier and it has their insignia engraved on it. And it just, it showed up. They... The players know, they know in their hearts, but it hasn't been confirmed that this gnome did it. But of course, who else would have? And then it appears here. So that whenever you do something, whenever you accuse this this NPC, the NPC says, look at all the good stuff I've done for you. What are you talking about? You know that he is stealing money. You know that he is turning around and buying you things. Look, I, I know it only costs, you know, two gold pieces for a standard, I don't know, water skin, whatever it is. Uh, I'm going to go buy everyone in the party. Uh, well, there are five of us here I'm going to go buy a water skin for everybody, uh, at two gold pieces each that comes to 14 gold pieces. So please hand it over. And they know, they know <laughs> that math does not add up. Right. But guys, you've trusted me in the past. It's all okay for every one sneaky or unreliable or antagonistic or dubious thing that you do. You should have two definitive successful wins so that they're, they're like, well, you didn't screw us last time. So I guess we'll trust you this time. So that's how you keep one of these guys alive. But how do you get them to be trusted? Dan, do, do you have any do you have any ideas uh, on this? Let's uh, let's stay in the same initiative order uh, from before. But do you have just a, a couple of basic tactics? And we don't have to go back and forth on this. Just I'm I'm curious to pick your brain tactics um, to establish that an NPC should always be trusted.
1: Like you said, we, you could have them pay back the party a couple times. You could have them uh, for every Misty they do have a couple good deeds come in. Um, I've I've always been a fan of. Uh, this NPC looking like they have a large scale plan ahead of them and um, that the party trusting him is important to that. And uh I don't mind directly, like I said before, telling the party he wants you guys to trust him because he's got some sort of plan. Coming down the pipe that will benefit the party, right? And and I could do that in character with the with him going, listen, guys, if if you trust me now, this will pay dividends in the future. I, I don't see a problem with having an NPC plead for trust. I don't see a problem with that. And I mean, if you're lucky, the party is going to follow along. But you could do this in many different subtle ways as well. You can you can have them tease. The thing that they're building up to, like, hey, if you trust me now, I could get you um, here. Here, Here's five pieces of gold. I could get you a hundred times this if you trust me now. Right. And and then follow through on it. Of course, if your party plays their role.
0: Yeah. And you can do things too, like have your the person that you're escorting. Right. Like you're on an escort mission and you've got to get them from point A to point B. But have them just be such a screw up and such a liability the whole way. And we're already dealing with that a little bit with an escort mission anyway, otherwise they'd just be able to walk there themselves, right? But yep. but to really make it so that they're liars or they're thieves and there's nothing you can do about it because your job is to get them to point B. But my god, he just keeps stealing from us, right? Like there's like, whatever it is, he just it's not even it's not even that he's stealing, I just I hate him. I just hate him. But He's antagonistic, and he's he's problematic, and he's got an attitude, and the DM just seems to be picking on me whenever we interact with this guy, but (laughs) he is our, our contact with this guild that we really need, or he's never steered us wrong, or as much as he's a dick, he just keeps handing out health potions. The idea that I really like the dichotomy between the words... And the, the surface level actions being very, um, like in the role play section, being very, very, very unreliable. But then when it's time, when the actions come through, that gnome, by the way, saved the world in the last session of that campaign. He took the hit and, and there was going to be someone who was sacrificed and murdered um, to the dark goddess of death. And he stepped forward. He dove in the way and uh, got executed instead. And the ritual failed. And that the goddess of death did not come into the realm. She was not manifested. That was a big selfless move. And everyone sat there afterwards and went, Oh, we should have trusted him the whole time. <laughs> and now every unreliable um character that they've ever run into, they go, There may be goodness in him. So one of the one of the tactics that I use is I like to show early that an unreliable character isn't necessarily going to stay unreliable. They will have moments of heroism, and these moments will matter usually in combat. Because that's when you need your ass to be pulled out of the fire, right? Maybe maybe in a, in a social scenario uh, or an exploration, but nine times out of ten, when this person shows up as the cavalry because the priest and the mage have gone down in combat and the warrior's got three hit points left, right? And the criminal has just walked away, <laughs> right? He just wants nothing more. And then this guy shows up slinging fireballs somehow. Yep. Yep. Now this guy's going to be trusted. Even if he sits there afterwards and charges the party for every spell cast, he's going to be trusted, right? This guy came and helped. So then, what are a handful of generic tactics uh, for unreliability, Dan? To make it so that your character is unreliable, but not necessarily 100% hated, right? Again, you shouldn't just be thinking antagonistic. It should be a little bit more than that, where uh, they have maybe even the best of intentions, but it falls apart. What are some ways to give an impression early on for the players to understand that this guy, the information he's fed us, the item he's given us, the backup that he said that he promised us, whatever it is, there's a chance it, it may not be solid, right? This may not be as copacetic as we want it to be. How can you really drop those hints early? What tactics do you use? We want to run off the same initiative or roll again? let's roll again. I like dice. All right. I got a five. I got a 17. Okay, so. So what do you got? My first one is just have some other NPC be the poor contact or double cross. The guy says, you know what? Absolutely. I'm going to be there at uh, sundown and then we can ride out of town together. But then his wife shows up and says, no, you promised to paint the fence this evening and I'm sick (laughs) and tired of you breaking every promise to me. And then you just, you witness a domestic dispute and he's like, guys, I'm sorry. I can't come on this mission. You got to find someone else or you're on your own here, take this wand, but I, but I can't come with you. Right. Suddenly that, (laughs) that promise has been broken and it's not this guy's fault, right? Whether it's, it's poor contacts in a seedy underworld kind of campaign or, you know, the, the, um, I I look at the uh, last season of, of game of Thrones where, Um, the Lannisters promised that they're going to march north to help and Jamie Lannister straight up freaking means it but then he has the rug pulled out from underneath him it's out of his control the army's not coming so he goes alone he still did his best but it's been it's been taken away from him it's it's no longer his fault he just made a promise and he overreached and and he'll straight up say maybe even in character I will never do this again I'm so sorry
1: for, for uh, me, if I really want to establish unreliability, I I will take a page from my personal real-life existence and say a, a lack of confidence can speak worlds to your players. This guy might be giving them proper information or half information or whatever it is, but if he's, you know, he doesn't sound sure of himself, if, if he is uh, kind of stammering through his words, if he is... uh Undermining himself on that, it's going to really give this air of unreliability to this character um, and is super easy for a DM to pull off as well. Uh, it, it's like the bookish nerd who really doesn't handle people well. And then the party's going to him for information and he is stammering through his words. It's, it's the, um, it's the rogue or the bard who's trying like a little bit too hard and has that overconfidence that, uh, is, is clearly just an act, right? Like he's, he's just trying to be that guy in the room. But uh, he doesn't really think he's as great as he is trying to make everyone believe he is. Stuff like that, right? So if you are going to have that to an unreliable PC, it'll add so much to that character um, because it it, it gives them this, I don't know, this angst almost uh, that I I love to add to uh, unreliable NPCs.
0: Okay, I'm going to knock mine out of order here because my next one is in direct conflict with what you just said, Dan. Yours was great, and I like the idea of, of the non-confidence NPC. I also like the one that has super charisma and is really ridiculously shady. The guy that is yeah. that just walks up flipping a coin, and he winks, and, and he smiles, and you can see his gold tooth. And he goes, ladies and gentlemen, how are we this evening? Everyone is immediately going to go on their back foot and be like, okay, what's the deal with this guy? And he may feed you proper information a couple of times, or you may find out that behind the scenes, he's been taking bets on whether or not you guys survive. Maybe that's why these dungeons are a little bit harder than, than he's letting on at first, right? Because he's, he's playing a game. Like he has something to gain out of this. You get hired on by an adventuring guild to go out and just explore this thing uh, and uh, we will give you all of the money uh, once you get back. We'll pay for you guys for all your gear before you go out and then you can get your profits when you get back because honestly, we're we're not expecting you to come back. like let's 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 be honest. If you do it, I mean the last four groups didn't make it. so um, well, we're not really expecting you to. And having this <laughs> upfront, shady, but completely on the nose um, idea of this is a bad idea, but it is way too attractive to give up, right? I I don't, I know that this guy's lying to me. I know this guy is a con artist, but my God, is he handsome? And he just has, he just has the best character voice. So I want to listen to more (laughs) of what he has to say.
1: You actually uh, gave us one of these guys in one of our campaigns, uh, who you have said this guy is good at everything. He is just he is just on top of everything, um, and that instantly made half, like half the people around the table were super suspicious. Half the people around the table were like, "Okay, this guy's clearly a cultist and is going to stab us in the back when we're sleeping." <laughs> like. You can't be this good without some sort of demonic interference.
0: And he—he he wasn't. He was just that good. He was just a straight up. But he was like, like too good. He's your boyfriend's um, best friend from childhood, who happens to be a girl, and just likes to hand out back rubs and calls him honey and touches his arm too much. And you know they're just friends, but come on, what the fuck, right? Yeah, like right. <laughs> like they're, 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 there's just there's just that level of of um. Like, you're too good to be true, and I just don't, I just don't, fuck, there's something about you. There's something, there's got to be something, there's got to be something off. You are. There's got to be. You are too perfect. (laughs) And with this character, I would
1: like to point out, never once did we figure out that there was something off about him. I mean, we ended up getting him sacrificed to a demon, but I mean, there was nothing ever
0: (laughs) proclaimed off about uh, the character's name was Irvindale. Uh, But he was just the handsomest smartest, most giving person. He would sit there and be like, all right, the goblins are coming and I only have one sword. You take it. I'll take my chances. Just please get it alive. You mean the world to me. And then after something big and heavy would happen and everyone would get through and, and another beloved character would, would die, he'd say, okay, I'm just, I want to gather everyone together. To, we're going to sit down. We're going to talk about grief around the campfire tonight. So if everyone Fuck can- Fuck this guy. He
1: makes me mad just like re-envisioning it now. That <laughs> campaign is over. And I'm just like, God, I hate Urbandale. I
0: was one of the people around the table. Was like, fuck this guy, but he was such a good guy. He was just legitimately a good dude.
1: the The lack of confidence that I said this could go from everything from the way they speak to like they have a tick, they have a they have a uh, like a nervous look over the shoulder, right? Like they, they wring their hands when they talk.
0: It could it could just be something um, that's that's just a little off putting about them. Like you just don't know when the last time was this guy had a shower, right? Or she yeah. she is just standing way too close to you, right? You don't have to have them be evil. You can just have them be weird and not good or funny. Dungeons and Dragons weird, but like like un- uncomfortable. Just weird. Uh, uncomfortable. I don't want to respond to these text messages. Weird. <laughs> Yeah, I guess the last one that I have that is actually incredibly useful for creating confusion over motivation and reliability is by adding a language barrier by having a character that does not speak the same language as the party. They may be aligned, but they can have complicated motivations and stuff as well, but they don't speak the same language. And over time, they will get very broken common. Or they will uh, end up working with a uh, sister language, maybe, that that another NPC might be able to translate with. And the other NPC goes, Ah, th- there's no right word for this. He either means that that we need to go left at the bright blue flower, or that we need to go left at the place of death. It's one or the other, depending on the dialect, and I, I I don't know which it is. I'm sorry. And so, having this language barrier will create this level of unease when it comes to dealing with or relying on information that's being given. I would not play this one up for for laughs because you're going to start hitting racial stereotypes if you're not if you're not careful. But Um, but I do like the idea of there being someone who, and this allows you as a DM as well to really focus on your, your body language. So this allows you to, to have a character who is a little bit more, um, mysterious and has weird customs. And so, you know what? We don't really understand what he's saying. He always pulls a sword and fights beside us. He's a good guy. We don't know why he's coming with us. He just started following us one day, but it's really odd how every night he sits down and, and pulls another leg off of that chipmunk and he, I don't know where he's getting the chipmunks from but and it seems to be some sort of religious thing that he does because he's always it, it seems he's chanting ah oh, fuck do you think he's in a cult right like <laughs> like, I, I I like that idea of there being the unreliable um, NPC because his actions are, are speaking really really clearly that he's on your side but fuck is he why is yep. he doing this? And there's no clear way to know. This is why I suddenly mean, your wizard is like, "Alright, you know what? I'm 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 going to learn the tongues spell. I, I got it. We got to know. We have to psychically communicate with this guy or whatever it is. Someone cast message." Yeah.
1: I I like this um and I want to build on it a little bit cuz this could be like you said weird like actions. It could be cultural differences on top of language diff- like like language or personality differences like that um have them be completely normal walk along the party inter- uh, interact with the party the same way and then um they reach a fork on the road and they spit they just they have to spit whenever there's a fork in the road it could be something subtle like that and then eventually the party's like okay what the hell's with the spitting? Is all like, well, you know, I want to make sure we're making the right decision, so I'm I'm expelling the wrong decision uh, and the bad luck uh, before I go ahead and we make the decision to you know take that path instead of the other, right? Like it, it it's stuff like that and have these weird cultural things that make the party
0: kind of go, okay, cool. Okay, so we've talked about reliable NPCs, unreliable NPCs, how to make the unreliable seem reliable, how to keep them alive, and how to really um, telegraph the idea that they are unreliable in the first place without them having the big double-cross moment. So let's sit down and look at our own campaign now. We've, we've gotten to the Jingling City. Uh, we have kind of established ourselves here a little bit as we're hunting for Lachlan's lot. But we haven't really made much progress. We've gotten some clues to hunting them down, but we haven't had any direct conflicts or, or real um, fights with them. So let's, let's look at our dynamic encounters in and around um, all of the stuff that's going on. Because remember, the reason we're talking about unreliable NPCs is because we've introduced our, our Tier 1 Big Bad Evil guy already. We already have this mage character that we set up last session, who's going to continue to be of a, a figure in one way or another through all of the sessions, because he's going to be a sudden double cross. And of course, he's, he's a mage. He's a little bit weird. He's a little bit quirky. There are some things, but he might be funny as well. We just don't know what's going on. I like the idea of him talking to himself, because we know He's being, what, mind-controlled by an imp, right? And so I like the idea of him being able to see the imp, but nobody else can. Yeah. And so it seems like he's talking to himself, but he doesn't want anyone to know that he's talking to an imp at, at the same time. So so he's always talking to that voice in the back of his head, and everyone thinks it's quirky, and it's funny, and it's weird. And we're talking about unreliable NPCs because we're setting him up to be unreliable. What other scenarios can we give? What encounters can we have? In the jingling city, we're still looking for Lachlan's lot, but let's focus on on NPCs and the unreliability of the NPCs. So Dan, uh, let's roll initiative on this and uh, and see what we have. Go cool. a sixteen. <laughs> you bastard! I got a fifteen.
1: <laughs> for my first one, um, I, I want to focus on this council member um, that we mentioned that we mentioned before. This mage. Um, and and really kind of build on him a little bit. So I have a skill challenge uh, encounter that he's going to kind of get the party involved with. Uh, he is going to get them to deal with a problem to prove their lawful intentions to help root out Lachlan's lot. He really wants the party to do this to get them on his side. So what he's going to do is he's going to send the party to deal with the cult of a dead god in the town that's been spreading rumors and uh, propaganda. I don't know about the gods, about uh, the town council themselves, about uh, the location, how this town is being run. Um, But he's calling on the party to call the spread and reinforce the fact there must be no bloodshed. So this is going to be a skill challenge where the party is going to have to investigate, you know, where's the stuff coming from, how to shut it down and, and use their skills in order to shut this down just to get on the same page. Of a councilman who, if you recall last uh, episode, was trying to get the party arrested. So this is really uh, building a trust with an NPC uh, that you guys want to be on the same page as. Like This is this is something I don't think we really mentioned in the previous section, where a good way to build uh, reliability and trust in an NPC is give them a position of power over the players that makes them want to trust him, right? Because it makes them want to be trusted by him. Right. And that, that goes, uh, that, that creates a two-way street there. So this is going to be a skill challenge that the party does. Um, uh, it also helps kind of flesh out the town a little bit more if they really want to dive into it.
0: My first encounter is, uh, I want, I want to point us back at the sheriff, um, who was, uh, he was the one that didn't necessarily arrest the party. Remember they got arrested and there was a cliffhanger. And then The very first thing is they go through kind of a summary of what the interrogation was, and then they get released. No harm, no foul. You guys were just, you were fighting on the outskirts of town. Don't freaking do that, right? So the sheriff is still going to work with them, and he's working with them to try to find Lachlan's lot um, and and these enemy guild members, and they have no love for Lachlan's lot here. Lachlan's lot has been shut down in the Jingling City. They don't really have an active chapter house here. So the sheriff um, is going to try to help the party. He's going to point them towards a diviner, maybe even the mage that we're setting up, um, but a, a mage who can help. And the Divine is going to point them towards a a locate person object, some sort of device that they can use, some MacGuffin that is going to help them at least narrow it down to what district Lachlan's lot is in. However, it's in a booby-trapped labyrinth of tunnels below an abandoned temple of a cult. So we said that there are different cults here in the city. One of them is going to have been shut down. Probably a lot of them were arrested Nobody wants to go into this place because once you go in, you never come out or whatever kind of crazy nonsense. But um, there is a maze underneath. Unfortunately, the Diviner, while they do have clues for the party to navigate, some of the clues are unreliable. Some of them are metaphors. Some of them are straight up wrong. And the Diviner or the Mage knows this and tells the party this ahead of time, but doesn't know which clues are wrong. And so there's consistent, um, for the idea of, of exploration, there's consistent um, second guessing, I guess, all the way through this. So this one is going to be obviously um, an exploration to exploration because you are not only following the or exploring this this labyrinth, but you are stopping consistently to deal with all of these wrong or potentially incorrect clues uh, and trying to figure out which one is applicable when. Maybe the problem is that all the clues are in the wrong order, but every one of the clues could be applicable to any one of the problems. So I love it. how do you know which one is which? So that that's the exploration to exploration. Um, I had to give it kind of a setup with the unreliable NPC factor, but as you're sitting there, you know your party's going to be cursing this damn mage or whoever sent them down there yeah. or even the sheriff right for for not giving them the clear uh, the clear directions that they were that they would hope for
1: my my uh, my next encounter is going to inject a little bit of combat into this as the party is either awoken or drawn to the ringing of alarm bells within the city um I, I would say that the the jingling city has things like that. Uh, like large uh, gongs that are ringing out in alarm and uh, when when they come out into the main body of the town, which let's recall is also bridges strewn across wide chasms and and ladders everywhere. there is swarms of giant vultures that are flying through the chasm and destroying bridges and attacking people and the party must stop these these vultures from doing that but uh, have the uh, the party, Become aware that there is a humming magical rune that seems to be drawing these beasts in. Uh, so the party, uh, for a little bit of an exploration aspect to this combat has to figure out how to shut down this incredibly intricate magical device that seems to be pulling people into, uh, pulling these creatures into the town to attack and to maim and to kind of ruin a lot of the infrastructure in terms of these bridges in the town. This reinforces the idea that really the only powerful wizard they've met, the only powerful mage they've met up until this point, is the the Councilman Archmage that they've met. Or maybe if they've met this Diviner that you just mentioned in the last block. It's the only real wizard they've met capable of doing this, so it might start to add some suspicion. Why is this guy making these things? Now, to throw in the whole Lachlan's Lot thing... I would have this device be stashed in our Black Ink Union warehouse or our Black Ink Union headquarters, which make it, you know, imply that Black Ink Union is in some way, shape or form causing this mistake when really Lachlan's lot has placed it there. Someone has targeted Black Ink Union. Your players are not going to find it hard to make that leaf that it was Lachlan's lot who has put this item there. So that's my, that's my, uh, uh, combat to exploration encounter
0: okay so uh, my second one is remember Oscar our half orc uh, clerk the guy that's following the party Do around I? that is just kind of a bumbling idiot well oh yeah someone someone has come forward and told him well you guys were adventuring you were you were dealing with the vultures someone else had a lead and they said that if we go into these tunnels over here, These residential tunnels that are are abandoned that we can go in there. We can find them. We we know that they're in there. And so he leads everybody in there and it's kind of a a forbidden area because the ceiling is really weak and... As he's telling you this, he he, he points up at the ceiling. When you guys are in there? And he goes, "Yeah. So this is why all of these apartments here are abandoned is because of this weak ceiling above, and they're very uh, afraid of cave-ins in here. And that's when he leans on the like the supporting beam, and it shifts, and he causes a cave-in. And now the party has to find their way out, and the oxygen is running out. So this is a exploration to, uh, or sorry, this is a role-playing to exploration. As Oscar is sitting there trying to help them." trying to to say, yeah, so I heard this and I heard this. And then as he's in there, he's revealing more and more that, well, I know this was a long shot. Right. Well, you just caved in the ceiling and we we're all stuck in here and there's six different apartments. We're going to go looting for tools to try to dig our way out. We're going to see if there's a back entrance. Maybe there's some sort of window in the in the side of the cliff face that we can scale out of. Like wh- whatever it is, we, we have to find a way out now. And Oscar's now letting us know that, well, this is a bit of a long shot. And maybe we're even in the wrong section. I think we're supposed to be at level six. Right. And he just he, the more he talks, the more you realize you shouldn't have been here in the first place and everyone's just going to be so freaking mad at him and then i would have oscar find the tool or the the correct way out so not yeah. not only did he create the problem he solved the problem too hey guys i'm like a hero <laughs> i'm i'm part of the team yeah it's going to be very difficult to be mad at him uh long term but they will definitely be frustrated with him in the moment and that that that's a good setup cuz we want oscar to be unreliable from day 1 uh and i think that you said earlier in this episode having the the kind of nervous, low confidence, um, bumbling kind of character. Oscar is that at first? That's the one that I'm I'm excited about doing uh, because this can also be a dynamic encounter, but it doesn't have to be a long one. This is just they're no. not going to get a whole lot of new information out of this, except the fact that Oscar's just freaking brutal. There may be a couple of I don't know cave dwellers, which are um, large insect like creatures in D and D. Like there could be something like that in here. You may find a couple of of tunnel dwelling monsters to fight, but they'll be low level, they'll be easy to, to handle, and you're not gonna be dealing with, with too much nonsense because uh it, it was an accident to even come in here. This is not a plot point. This is just a neat little ridiculous thing that further shows you that Oscar's a fucking piece of goddamn trash. And why do we even include him in this goddamn campaign? But oh, he found the way out, guys. There's a door. It says exit. <laughs>
1: So for mine, I want to add a general sense of unreliability to the entire town, in a way. We've mentioned that there are kind of evil cults and whatnot going around, so the party is going to be interrupted by a woman pleading for help in an unknown language. I will do my legwork beforehand and make sure that this language is in fact unknown around the table. Cause nothing is worse than sitting around the table saying she starts speaking in the language. Uh, does, and they go, what language? And you go, uh, does anyone speak Abyssal? And then three people put up their hand. You're like, shit. Okay. Well, here's the language. <laughs> here's what she's saying.
0: Well, hold on. Here's a, here's a D and D fifth edition hint. There is a language that exists out there that is referenced like twice in all of the lore and no one speaks it. It is considered a forbidden language, and it's called dark speech. Not deep speech, which is for the underdark, but dark speech, which is from the far realms. This is the language, uh, you, you know, aberrations uh, speak their own crazy languages and whatnot. This is what their gods speak. This is the Cthulhu language. Right. And so cool. Dark speech does exist out there. And I if I I think I know you're going with this, Dan, because I know you pretty well. I think that dark speech might be your your correct answer here.
1: Uh yeah, yeah. I mean, probably. So uh those those who have listened to Deep Decker radiance know I love what I'm about to do. Uh so a so this woman comes in pleading for help Uh, in an unknown language and draws the party to a nearby alley where the thieves that left them to die in the uh, sewers in um, the previous episode uh, or previous session come back to quote-unquote finish the job contracted by Lachlan's lot to finally try to take your party out. This gets a bit weird when midway through the fight the woman transforms into a horde monstrosity and starts attacking both her friends and the party uh and the the npcs who are there to take out your party have no idea what the hell's going on um so now you have this combat to combat encounter where they're fighting and then this woman stumbled across some sort of weird spell that she was muttering inanely to you people unbeknownst to herself and in so doing, got herself possessed by an eldritch horror and has transformed into a tentacle beast right there in the alley and is fighting your party and her friends at the same time. This is going to add a, a, a little bit of, you know, what the hell factor and might add some credence to the 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 overwhelming, overarching threat of these cults are at work in this town.
0: Yes, remember we talked uh, in the last episode about this area being more dangerous? Nothing adds danger or the sense of danger like the idea of uncertainty. So by saying that, hey, this crazy shit could just pop off at any minute, you are letting the party know that this is not the safety of their home. You are in a bizarre place where there are cultists. There's just weird shit going on all the time. You can even have the sheriff consistently muttering about, oh, these freaking cultists, man. If you have any idea what it's like? No, you would have no idea what it's like. I have seen shit. And now the party gets to see shit. And this is the sheriff could could even show up and say, oh, must be Tuesday. Here we go again. Yeah, right. Right. Looks up and goes, oh, that's where the sun is. Yeah, this makes sense. So my last one is is pretty straightforward. Uh, this is an exploration to role-playing, and it's, it, it might be my favorite thing that we've said so far. Uh, I like the idea of Lachlan's Lot having an old chapter house that has been abandoned, and it's going to be full of clues of safe houses around and whatnot where Lachlan's Lot might be hiding, where all of the people that escaped from Sandspit that are now, like, worked into the background, they've disappeared into the populace now uh, in the Jingling City. Where could they possibly be? There are clues all over Lachlan's Law Chapter House. And this is a big thing. Here's a big reveal about, you know what? Definitively speaking, we know that this is the place that we want to start looking. Now we, we've got a solid lead and we're going to go forward. But before you can do that, you have to deal with the butler that is left behind, who is a grumpy little homunculus, who has two legs and a set of wings and just hovers around, who's essentially Marvin, the depressed... Uh, robot from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
1: Oh, I love it. Uh, it it's basically Alan Rickman. Yes, but alive. Uh, it's what you're trying to say. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, ouch.
0: Well, Alan Rickman voiced Marvin in that, right? Yes, I, I love the idea of him walking around, and he's helpful, but he's just—he's—he's he's just critiquing everything about you. It has worked into him that people from the Black Ink Union are just—they're just low people. They're just—I mean, you can never trust a merchant, right? And he goes on and on and on, and he's probably got like a a drawl, like there's a there's a a depressed, drawn out quality to his voice, and he's just. Not happy to be here. And whenever someone's like, hey, what's behind this door? Why? Why do you even... Why are you still here? What's behind the door? Another room. Like, he's going to be helpful if you put the pressure on him, but he's generally unhelpful. Not because he hates the party. He's not being antagonistic. He just hates life in general. And he just (laughs) wants to go back to sleeping in the closet where they left him until they come get him again. But he's pretty sure they're never coming back. No one comes back. Life is meaningless. Please leave. Oh, I love it. (laughs) So like
1: your party comes into like walk in and he's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Come on in. What are they going to do? Come back and destroy me. Uh, God, I hope I, so. I
0: like the idea of you guys <laughs> are having to break through the front door with the, with the crowbar and, and he's just, he's sitting on the stairs just inside the front foyer going, well, I mean, you could have knocked, but sure. Break the door. Whatever. It's not like there's crime in this area. Fuck. <laughs> Right, and so like this is just a load of fun for an NPC, and maybe even have him tag along with the party after this, and and if if they're nice enough to him, to, if you have a character, a player that feels bad for him and wants to bring him along, maybe he will go with them because well, there's nothing waiting for him here. Maybe, may, maybe there is life worth living out there. I doubt it, but
1: so what's this character's name? I mean, you'd probably ask me, be like, oh, I don't know, E or. <sighs>
0: You're terrible. You were just... You have, You're the worst person at naming NPCs. We're going to do an episode sometime on naming I'm NPCs. I'm the best person at naming NPCs. We're going to do an episode on naming NPCs and you are not going to be invited.
1: <laughs> hey, what's what, what's this uh, gnome investigator called? I don't know. He's kind of Irish. Uh, Jiminy Fidgens? Yeah, there there you go. <laughs>
0: <sighs> so... Now that we've expanded our list of interesting NPCs, it's time for us to sit down and mull over who we can trust. This will let us determine who our allies are as we prepare to end our feud with the opposing guild once and for all. So. Tune in next week when we finally resolve our issues with our first arch enemies. And we have a resolution to this problem that is Lachlan's lot.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcast catchers. And all of our episodes and a big fancy donate button are available at www.itsamimic.com. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and more. And we would love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your own
0: homebrew campaigns. I'm Dan. I am the very reliable Adam. No one believes you.
1: I, I have an honest question for you, uh, just as an aside. Yeah. Was there ever plans to have Irvindale backstab the party, or or did you get to a point where you're like, you saw what the reaction at the table was, and
0: you're like, no, no, no this guy's just going to be this. This this is what he is, all the way through. He was always supposed to be the knight in shining armor. the The table had two guys and two girls. And the guys kept getting into relationships with NPCs and hitting on women and, Dan has got a freaking dwarf harem that he's consistently sleeping with but the harem there were two of them well yeah um at, <laughs> at first um but there were uh there were They're my lady friends there were two <laughs> there were two players at the table the two girls there that were not Engaging at all in anything romantic, and I said, "Okay, what is the best possible guy that I can give? He's going to provide security. He's going to listen. He's going to be understanding. He's going to be pleasant to look at, and he's also going to just be slightly better than the guys around the table because the girls will think that's hilarious. So whatever happens, this guy will just have a natural bend in one direction, and he will be more giving." Because it was to the left. Sorry, it it was an evil campaign. (laughs) Well, it wasn't evil, evil. It was moral ambiguity. But he was a bright shining star of of heroism in the middle of it.
1: Yeah, and then we sacrificed his ass to Demogorgon. Suck it, Irvindale, you prick. <laughs> uh, I'm just I'm mad about Irvindale now. Like I'm just I'm just mad.
0: Uh. Okay, bye.